The What to Know podcast explores best practices, innovation, and latest trends with industry experts with an eye toward helping you, the listener, stay ahead of the ever-changing marketing and communications landscape. Good morning. This is Aaron Strout, CMO of W2O and the host of the What to Know podcast show. And this morning, I have the privilege of coming live from the Adagio Hotel, live in the sense that this is where we're recording. You'll hear this after the fact. Uh, this is JP Morgan, which is a big week for a lot of folks that live in the biotech and investor worlds. Uh, but we're hosting a digital brunch today. And so I have the pleasure this morning of speaking to Florian Otto. He's the CEO and co-founder of Cedar. We'll find out more about what Cedar does in just a moment. Uh, I have to tell you, so first of all, welcome. Good to have you here. Thanks for having me. Uh, I always like to do research on my guests, and you have one of the most fascinating backgrounds that I've seen in terms of the diversity of places that you've worked, both geographically and the, the nature of what they do. I'd like to think that it probably is one of the reasons why you're a more complete CEO than some because you've worn all these hats. But just to go through a little bit, um, according to LinkedIn, you have a DDS in dentistry, you have an MD and PhD in medicine, and then you run the gamut between a two-year stint at McKinsey and then a two-and-a-half-year stint as the founder and CEO of, uh, I'm going to butcher this, but Club Urbano, which became uh, Groupon Brazil, uh, the VP of sales at ZocDoc, and now you're the co-founder and CEO of Cedar. Walk us through sort of you know, what, what made you do all of that schooling, what got you focused on health, and then what brought you across all those disciplines during your journey? Yeah, that's a, that's a very good question. Of course, it's not a very traditional trajectory and maybe also the reason why I didn't get any other job and I need to start my own company. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I studied, as you mentioned, in, uh, in Germany, uh, medicine and dentistry, so pretty academic um, career so far with the intention to become a maxillofacial surgeon. And uh, I deeply care about medicine. I'm really passionate about medicine. Um, however, throughout my studies, I've been seeing that being a doctor actually can be kind of boring because in order to be good, you need to be very repetitive in one procedure. So if you really want to be good in one type of surgery, you need to do it three, four, five hundred times in order to be good at it. And the second big problem is it doesn't really scale because you'd only have two hands as a surgeon and in order to have more impact, you might be able to work a little bit faster, work a little bit better, but that's more the 30% lift in productivity and not the 300x, which is really interesting. So that more brought me, I think, into business where I said I wanted to do something else. Um, what I then did is um, I joined McKinsey and the reason for that is McKinsey has actually a very good training ground um, for, uh, for people to learn business from the beginning, especially for they're called exots, like myself, who, who didn't study business. So I had an amazing time, worked in Brazil on a variety of projects. So not only healthcare projects, but also banking projects, mining projects, and all different kind of industries, and really learned business from the beginning. Um, my objective was not to become a career consultant, but more of an entrepreneur, because that's where really my passion is. So then in 2010, started this company, um, Club Urbano was the name. During that time, um, Groupon was the hot business model and um, is one of the business models that is very easy to adopt actually locally and you have an advantage to be local. It's not, not a business that has extremely strong network effects like a Facebook or an Airbnb where local business doesn't make sense. So I started that company and then a Groupon took it over. I was CEO of Groupon Brazil for some time. Um, 
I wasn't actually really ready at that point to lead a larger company. We had 700 employees. I was the CEO of that and definitely had a few skills that I was still lacking. So then made the decision of joining ZocDoc to work with an extremely experienced and talented uh, management team. Was the head of sales for uh, three years and then started Cedar. Well, I love how intentional you were on that journey, even though you started in one area. And I hadn't ever thought about the fact that there is a certain discipline to certain jobs where, you know, probably more of a COO and certainly a surgeon, as you mentioned, where it's that repetition that is what makes you great. And if that's not your thing, and it sounds like obviously entrepreneurship is your thing, then that's not the right place to stay. But you do have all this wonderful background. Um, I do want to fast forward to Cedar because one of the other things I really appreciated is there are a lot of issues in healthcare today and a lot of really smart people like yourself that are tackling them. You picked one that's probably a little more mundane, but arguably one of the most impactful, right? And so if I've got this correct, it's uh, in the healthcare space, there are millions of patients that default on their pocket liability post-hospital visit, meaning they come in, their insurance covers a certain portion, they're left on the hook with $100, $500, $1,000. And then the issue is, is that um, it's not that they don't want to pay it. It's just there's so much broken with the system. So, uh, and I'd love to get your take on this, but at Cedar, you've created a business model using modern means of communication, smart consumer segmentation, and new technology interfaces. Give us a little bit more about how that works and how that starts to attempt to fix this uh, huge problem in the healthcare industry. Yeah, happy to talk about that. It's basically, um, so to your first question on, on the hypothesis of that. So um, why starting Cedar was more of a personal, um, a personal problem where my fiance had a bad billing experience. Um, but the research basically shows us that um, 50 million people in the US have a bad credit score because of medical debt. And the interesting piece is that half of them, so 25 million, um, have otherwise a clean credit score. And the median of the outstanding balance is only 200 bucks. So clean credit score, 200 bucks. This cannot be only an ability to pay problem. And then comes, of course, the second factor that you need for somebody to pay is the willingness to pay. And we strongly believe in the good of the people. So if you just ask random 100 people on the street, would you pay your medical bill if it's fair, if it's understandable, and if it's convenient? I guarantee you that more than 95% probably would say yes. Everybody could run out of the Starbucks without paying, right? Nobody really does that. But in average, only 30 to 40% really pays the bill. So what is the gap between the 30 and 40 that pays and the 95 that wants to pay? is basically a process. We make it extremely difficult for patients um, to review the medical bill and to pay that. So that was our general hypothesis on that. And just in terms of experience, just look on uh, Google reviews or Yelp. You see basically the number one problem for patients and the complaint is always the billing. The number, one is, uh, the number two is actually uh, parking. Um, so we didn't decide to go into the parking space yet because I think this will be solved in 10 years anyway. So we, we focused on this, um, on the billing piece. So that's about the problem. And then of course, this problem is getting bigger because of high deductible healthcare plans, right? So the employers are shifting more and more burden and deductible to the employees. So out of pocket is increasing at a rate of something like 20% um, year over year, right now already topping $150 billion, which is like US e-commerce minus Amazon. So it's a pretty large number currently. So what do we do basically in order to, um, to, to reduce this problem is, um, is a couple of factors. I think the first is we really personalize this billing experience. We're adopting technology 
that we took from others like an Amazon or a Netflix or from, uh, from Expedia, where everybody has a personalized experience. So if you right now log into your Expedia account, you get different recommendations than I do. Or Netflix is very different from uh, yours and mine. And what we said is the billing actually should be the same. Because to get somebody to pay the medical bill, there's no difference from converting somebody to shop on Amazon. So that's what we do. So everybody gets a different invoice based on, um, it's based on demographics, language spoken, past payment histories, demographic information, and um, last but not least also um, marketing databases that we take. And let me ask a follow-up question. I'm assuming that the way you make money is you work with the hospital systems and the payer providers, and they give you a little bit of a cut since you're doing a service, and they're not losing 50% of whatever it is that they're going to and creating bad credit scores by going out there. Is that a fair assumption? Yeah, that's correct. I think there are, um, there are basically four uh, things that really matters to our partners and, uh, and the healthcare provider. I think the number one is patient satisfaction. Patient satisfaction right now is a big problem because of the billing. An interesting study actually by Beckers was that the patient satisfaction right after discharge, same survey, and that survey is 60 days out, the satisfaction drops by 30%. So that's only the billing. That's the only thing that you really get there. So it's a big problem. Patient satisfaction and providers getting more competitive, more consumer friendly. So that's the one thing. The second thing is, of course, the collection rate. It is not good for the financial health of the provider if only 30 to 40% really pays the bill. The third thing is the time to collect. In average right now, it takes more than 60 days for the provider to get paid from the patient. That's extremely slow. And why is that? Because usually patients, the first physical invoice they get after 30 days, they just throw away. And then last but not least, of course, the process is very expensive. So I recently actually got two different invoices for a balance of $4.63. So you cannot tell me that it's a high ROI to send those <laughs> invoices. So reduction in cost also matters. Well, that makes sense. And thank you for drilling down on that with me. Uh, you, you joked about the parking piece, right? Which does make sense. Sometimes it's these little annoying things that uh, should be solved. But in general, um, I'm assuming that there are probably some other issues like the billing that you have thought about. And as you sort of start to work this out, talk about others that you th might be thinking about tackling in the future. Yeah, I think, of course, there are, there are a lot of problems. Um, maybe I, I will talk a little bit about the problems that are somehow related to what we currently do. So our objective is not only to do a better billing company. We strongly believe that's probably the number one problem consumers face right now. But our vision is to be the connection between the consumer and the healthcare system. And the interesting piece is that is really right now broken. So I sometimes say that healthcare is actually like the anti-airline. What does that mean? In the airline, it's actually a pretty good experience. You can shop your uh, ticket mobile, you can check in, you can select your seat, then you're going on the plane. Actually, not so great of an experience, <laughs> definitely not um, uh, in, in coach. And then afterwards, you check out and you can review your mile status, you can do everything mobile again. Pretty good. In healthcare, it's actually the other way around. In order to book an appointment, you need to, 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 uh, to call, you need to request an appointment, you need to fill out all the forms. In the hospital, I think the healthcare providers really take care very, very well of you. Why is that? Because the staff is very passionate about what they're doing, very idealistic. And then you get discharged, and then the nightmare starts with the billing. So basically, um, we want to bring at least the digital experience um, of healthcare towards what is in other industries. And travel is one of the great examples, I think, where the communication between the consumer and the provider or the travel um, agency 
um, has really yeah, arrived at the 21st century. Well, that's, that makes a lot of sense, and I, it's a great analogy because you're right. The airlines do, do some things really well, and unfortunately, the on-flight isn't always the best part. So it really is the, the converse. You touched on this a little bit, but I want to drill down more. So you've talked a lot about how consumers want an Amazon-like experience in healthcare. And I think the thing that, if I'm going to take <clears throat> what your meaning is out of that, I use Amazon Prime religiously. I literally search anything. I find it. I can see the reviews. I can see, you know, what other people have bought. If it's electronics, which cords do I need? I put it in my basket. I hit send. And I know 99% of the time it's going to come to me two days, free shipping. And they have great customer service. So, you know, what other things like that are you looking at? And, and I guess what could you do short-term versus longer-term? Because some of these things, is, you could create the best interface in the world. It's really that back-end legacy system that you have to plug into. And I'm guessing that's probably where you're spending a lot of your time. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. Let's maybe start with one of the biggest misconceptions that I very often hear is healthcare is different. And I think that is only very partly true. So yes, healthcare is different. Healthcare is very complex because there's a lot of regulation, there's a lot of complexity with the payer, the patient and the provider. However, the interesting piece is the consumer is exactly the same. The same consumer that uses the healthcare provider also shops on Amazon, watches Netflix, or uses Expedia to book the next trip. So the interesting piece right now is that actually the expectation of the consumer is increasing because they are used to these technologies in other spaces. And healthcare on the consumer space really did not do in any big innovation over the last 100 years. I'm not saying healthcare because I think if you look into the operating room, it's amazing which kind of technology they're doing. Most advanced robots, screens and all these things. But on the consumer engagement space, it's really still yeah, the 50s, basically. It's still phone and paper. So that's one of the things we really uh, want to do. So um, I think it needs to be a digital first experience. I think it needs to be convenient and it needs to be transparent. And right now, healthcare has neither of those. So that's one of the things we really work one by one. And we believe that the billing experience is the number one thing that consumers right now are suffering from. Well, it makes sense. And I think people do forget that it's sort of like the B2B worlds, right? Where it's like, oh, well, these people aren't used to doing things this way. It's like, but they have a consumer experience and they are used to being on Facebook and to your point, Netflix, Amazon, et cetera. So making sure that you're mindful of the other things that are sort of in their digital experience uh, is critical. I want to um, go a little bit wider. So we're at JP Morgan, right, which is a huge, uh, again, biotech, digital health, uh, venture capital meeting over the course of this week in San Francisco. Uh, we're Monday, so we're sort of ground zero here. Any things that you're looking forward to this week in terms of sessions or learning about new technologies, partner meetings? Yeah, I think the number one thing I'm really looking forward to is have, have in-depth conversations with people, uh, with providers, with other technology companies to really understand what is on top of their mind. And what, what really excites me, I think every year more and more, the providers actually see they want to change. And I think there's an interesting saying here also in, in Silicon Valley that especially in enterprise software, you cannot be 20% better than the status quo, but you need to be three to five X better in order to make the change. And I think right now in healthcare, we are at this point. 
where other technologies are three to five times better than what currently exists. So people really get excited to change because nobody wants to change an enterprise software just for 10% improvement. But right now we are at this 5x. So I'm very excited that people see this and, um, and, and want to make the change in favor of the patients. Well, it makes sense. And this is a great place to do that networking. And uh, it is interesting because I would also think that some of these payer providers realize, and they're doing deals like CVS and Aetna just did a deal. Uh, I think someone from Aetna is going to be here speaking today. Um, Amazon is getting into the health world, you know, wholeheartedly. You have uh, Walmart, who's also going to be speaking here later today. I'm going to be interviewing uh, Marcus Osborne about what they're doing. So you are going to have a lot of game-changing uh, turns of events, good or bad, that they have to be mindful of, right? So staying ahead of that, I'm sure, is critically important. Going a little bit wider yet, as someone that sits in the middle of, you know, sort of thinking about what's broken, what could be fixed, having that medical training that you had, you know, in terms of schooling, looking in the next five to 10 years, what are you seeing a little bit further out in terms of some of the developments that we can expect to, to take place? Yeah, I think it's good that you asked the question a little bit broader and five or ten years out because sometimes I get the question what happens next year. I don't think next year anything will dramatically change in healthcare. So um, I appreciate the time horizon. So I think um, let's talk about the five-year horizon. I think um, in the next five years, nothing totally fundamentally will change. So it's not that all of a sudden we have a single-payer system or whatever. Nothing will happen in the next um, five years on that. But I think that um, that that consumerism definitely will pick up. So we have seen that over the last years right now that the patient, because the patient can decide where he or she wants to go, they have their insurance card, they have their credit card, they have their HSA, they decide basically where the dollars go more and more. And um, yeah, we see that with an increase in deductibles, for example, it really becomes more of a consumer base. They, they decide where's the best care, where's the cheapest care, where's the most convenient care. Um, healthcare providers, they were very monopolistic in, yeah, in their geographies. That, of course, becomes also much easier right now for patients to travel for important procedures, especially for the elective parts. So I think that's happening over the next five years. Um, in my opinion, over the next 10 years, we will definitely see a decline in fee-for-service because just fee-for-service is something that is very tough to, I think, to understand, to make sense, because you have an information asymmetry between, um, between doctor and patient and also the, uh, the, the payer. And you have this fundamental problem where the provider wants to do as many treatments as possible, the, pro the payer wants to do as little as possible, the patient has actually no idea <laughs> what will be done because of this information asymmetry. So I definitely think on the, on, on the compensation, on the incentive, we definitely will see changes there. It might be uh, on a case basis, it might be capitation, we definitely see more value-based care. However, it takes longer than we think, right? I mean, 20 years ago, everybody thought value-based care will be the next big thing. And now we sit here in 2019, and it's still only a fraction of everything. How about this? There's a new emphasis on wellness, right? So in the past, it was really, let's find someone that's sick and let's treat them. I think we're realizing that at that point, not to say that it's too late, but it's certainly, it's like, uh, you know, trying to exercise after you've already had a heart attack. It's much better if you can actually be preventative. So what is your take on this movement around wellness and a lot of the payer providers really encouraging people to do this and even incentivizing, to your point, people for doing the right things, eating better, exercising, et cetera? Yeah, it's, it's absolutely important. And um, we all agree that prevention is always better than treatment. So I think 
one fundamental problem here in the United States is that the health insurance is linked to the employer in most of the cases. So what does that mean? If you change jobs, you also change the health insurance companies. So if you do not stay with your health insurance company until the rest of your life, the incentive, of course, to in really invest heavily right now in prevention, which might be a cash outflow right now, but saves you money in the back end, is actually not the easiest and the, and the best economic decision in the short run. So I think that's one fundamental problem. I think we need to have something like portability of healthcare insurance, where, um, uh, like for example, in Germany, you can uh, basically change em uh, employers, stay with the same healthcare insurance, and the employer still basically pays their share. So that's, in my opinion, um, one thing that needs to happen, because then, um, then the incentives are much better aligned. Um, the second thing is that the consumer needs to understand more that the consumer is responsible for the health, and not the payer, and not the provider. So if you, if you ask anybody, okay, who is responsible for planning the vacation? Yeah, it's, it's probably you. <laughs> but who is responsible for your healthcare? And you ask just 100 people, a lot of people say, oh, my employer, it's my payer, it's, it's my provider. No, it's actually you. And that, of course, closes the loop on if you're responsible for your healthcare, you definitely try not to get sick. Yeah, that's a good point. And it's interesting because I was talking with a woman that's the CEO of Fitbit. Uh, and she was talking about one of the programs they have where essentially they're working with the employers because that is the way it works. And they were providing these programs that were essentially gamification where people would get prizes or would get you know money back if they were using the Fitbit and doing this. So I agree, like shorter term, it's probably going to be hard to fix it. But maybe there are ways like the gamification and if you're out walking or running or whatever and you're doing the right thing. Kind of like some of the car insurance companies have done where if they can see that you're a safe driver, then, you know, yes, we'll give you better premiums, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think that's important. Problem with gamification is very often that people get tired of it. It's very fun for the first uh, three to six months, but then adoption rates usually decrease. Um, and we see it almost everywhere. I think the most important thing is the mind shift change on the consumer to say, okay, you are responsible yourself for your health. Yeah, no, that's an excellent point. Well, this is the point where I do like to shift a little bit more, you know, to you as the person. Uh, I like to find out sort of, you know, a little more about our guests and what makes them tick. And the first question I always like to ask is, tell us a little bit about your, something about yourself that people might not know that you're willing to share. Huh, okay. Um, yeah, let's, let's maybe do one thing. I'm pretty sure nobody knows about that. But the longest job I have ever held in my life was being a delivery boy for the local pharmacy. So I held that job from... 13 years old to 18. So it was more than five years tenure. And that's funny because I think usually it goes the opposite way, right? Where it's like you do short stints and then the longer in you get. Um, but as you joked, you know, it's like you had to sort of get your own company where you felt comfortable with the boss. Ultimately, you get to be the boss. Uh, the second question I like to ask is for the listeners that, you know, are building their libraries. And I have widened this a little bit, which I didn't tell you before, but books that you might have read, a, a book over the last year or two, either you've listened to or read, or podcasts, right? I know people are always looking for good podcasts. Um, anything that comes to mind that you'd like to share with the audience? Um, yeah, I think, I mean, there are, there, there are a bunch of books I'm really passionate about. I, I definitely try to do one or two books um, a week in terms of reading. So I think books that really stuck to my mind is uh, Sam Walton's uh, Made in America, a fantastic book really about um, a passionate entrepreneur who really saw the purpose of the business and the team members first, um, built up an amazing company in a very difficult environment, 
but um, not being greedy in the short term, but really focusing on the long term. So I think he is definitely one of the role models. And I read the book three times already, and I'm pretty sure that I'll read it again in the next 24 months. So I think that's one book um, that I really uh, like about general entrepreneurship. Um, when it comes to maybe enterprise, I really like uh, Jeff Moore's Crossing the Chasm is a very interesting book about um, adoption of industries, different life cycles, how to bring a, a product to the market. And I think that's a very relevant book, although it's not written for healthcare, it is actually very important for healthcare because most of the healthcare innovations, they actually fail on the distribution towards the, uh, the providers or the payers, so on the enterprise sales side. Well, two excellent recommendations. And uh, I think back to the first one, that that is the true test is if you can go back and read a book it's sort of like watching a movie right if you can watch it a few times if you can read it a few times and get more meaning out of it every time especially if it stands up over the course of time then that's a, a huge endorsement um, the last question I want to ask and I'm always fascinated to find out because I never know where someone's gonna go with this but the theoretical you're stranded on a deserted island you can bring an album with you it's one album ideally not a greatest hits which album would you pick and why <laughs> that's a that, yeah, that's a good question, uh, and assuming of course I have the the player and also to play that, um, I think if there's one album I I barely get tired of listening to is actually Paul Kalkbrenner Berlin Calling. Um, why is that? It's very difficult to describe why do you like a music, and it makes no sense to debate why you like something. So what I really like on uh, on his music is. Um, it has something calming, actually, but you can also dance to it. Um, it is something that I can listen to while studying. I can listen to it at parties um, and has just a very positive and good mood and reminds me a little bit on home as well. Well, you know, you seem like a very... Uh, entrepreneurial while pragmatic person. So that seems like the perfect entrepreneurial while pragmatic answer to the question. So thank you for doing that. Uh, this is Aaron Strout, CMO of W2O and the host of the What's to Know podcast show. I've had the pleasure of spending the last 20 plus minutes with Florian Otto, who is the co-founder and CEO of Cedar. Uh, thank you so much and enjoy the rest of your JP Morgan. Thanks for having me, Aaron. Want more episodes of What to Know? We post a new episode every Thursday. Subscribe on iTunes, the podcast app, the Stitcher app, or Spotify, and view the podcast page at w2ogroup.com slash what to know.